episode six of the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Russell Sachs. He's the EVP of Sales and Business Development at Work Market. Uh, welcome to the show, Russell. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, give us a little background on you and and who you are and where you came from. You've obviously had a great career um, as both a um, you know seller and manager of sales people and teams. And just tell the listeners sort of where you came from, who you are. Yeah. Great. So I actually had a weird start into sales. I actually started my career as a trial attorney. Um, <laughs> I spent five years uh, doing uh, complex litigation. And, you know, in the late 90s, went and realized there had to be a better way. I started to get fascinated about technology and what was happening in the evolution of technology. Um, and I had a good friend that was a venture capitalist, and he was incubating an idea around email, because at the time email was the, the killer app. Sure. Um, you know, we sat back and thought about what people needed. I understood it from the business side, because if email was down, I couldn't communicate with clients, opposing counsel, the courts. And so we went down the path of building um, a solution that focused on helping organizations make smarter decisions on how to put together their email environment, optimize routing, optimizing traffic. Um, Shortly after we raised our first round, the bubble burst in the late 90s, Um, we ended up recapitalizing the company. We knew we were in a great space and started a new company called Message One. And Message One was really what really got me, um, I guess, the bones, the chops to to kind of where I am today. It was focused on email high availability and email archiving. And for a period of 2000. Three to 2008, we, you know, just were seeing great growth, you know, just hyper uh, growth and companies were glomming onto this notion of basically a backbone spare tire. So that if their primary mail system went down rather than spending all this money for a second mail system, yeah. they'd have a functional email environment, um, 80% of the functionality, 20% of the cost. Right? Got it, got it. Ended up scaling that business. Um, running sales and then later an enterprise sales team and ultimately sold that to Dell. And when uh, Dell acquired us, I ran Dell's SaaS business for a few years. They then acquired a company called Perot and once they acquired Perot, I moved into their services line and ended up running um, half of North America and then right shortly before I left, all of North America for services sales. That's kind of my background, how I got into it. And then how did you, so, so, you know, now you're at work market. What what sort of led you from Dell and, and that experience to, yeah. to work market? Well, you know, um, one thing I will say was I realized that um, I really was passionate about leading and mentoring people. I had a, a fantastic mentor who really taught me the ropes around sales um, and proper software sales. And when I was at Dell, I learned a ton around operating in a big organization, managing um, basically a, a network of field reps across the United States. Um, but I missed the passion of creation. 
And one of the one of the privileges we get from being an early stage company or in an early stage company is you're essentially creating something where nothing existed before. A great opportunity, a great time for me to get back into the. And were early you stage. were you in New York prior, or were you? I was. I I was actually working out of Texas, um, and then got after it. about a year and a half, I moved back to New York. Got it. Got it. Um, so give us maybe maybe just to transition that into work market. Just give us a, you know background of the company, where you were when they started and, and yeah. kind of, you know, where they're at today. Great. So when I first met Work Market, what I found what I found were two fearless founders that were really taking advantage of the new way that people work. There is an explosion in freelancers and contractors. Um, you know, more and more people are making a lifestyle choice to become a freelancer or a contractor. Sure. Enterprises Love the idea for the operational efficiencies, the cost savings. The problem is if they don't have the proper tools, software, and network to, to actually harness this, this fundamental tectonic shift, you know, it's impossible. And so what Work Market does is they insert themselves right at the forefront and they allow enterprise companies to manage the entire process of finding, verifying, and managing and engaging freelancers at scale. And the focus is, how do I hire hundreds of freelancers and put them on site to a particular location to do a particular task without sacrificing quality? Sure. So when I met them, they were doing about a couple hundred thousand bucks um, in transactional revenue. Yep. And what that meant was every time a job flowed through the platform, you know, they would take a piece of the action. And they hired me to change the go-to-market strategy um, and really change the way we sold work market. When I got there... I started moving us towards a SaaS-based model where okay. it was a subscription license, one, two, or three years. Um, and ultimately, we would have a commitment from the customer as opposed to you know come and go as they pleased. And so that was a real fundamentally challenging thing because the people that we had at the time had never sold SaaS before. Right. You know, they were transaction-based employees. Um, so and, did you inherit any sellers or was it... Oh, yeah. I inherited sellers okay. and I actually trained my sellers on uh, Medic, which is what we're going to cover today. Got it, got so, it. So maybe to, to transition, you sort of are in the organization, you've adopted a process we, Russell just mentioned, called Medic, which is the topic of our discussion. Um, how, how did you kind of come across this, you know, Medic framework and what was, or it, it, was it invented by you? What was the inspiration? How did you, how did you sort of, you know, seek to employ this at work market yeah so i wish i could take credit for creating it um i will take credit for facilitating it and bring it here to the northeast um but you know i had a, a tremendous leader sales leader in my previous life and what medic what i love about medic is there's lots of different ways um that lots of different programs that cost a whole lot of money to train people on how to think about and frame customer conversations and medic is you know, it's such an easy way. It's like eight-minute abs. It's such an easy way to really understand where you sit in an account and do it efficiently. Sure. And, you know, I implemented it at Message One or was implemented at Message One, and it changed the way our trajectory. And I used it ever since the first time I was introduced to it, and I still use it all these years later. And it's just basically all the most obvious things that people fail to ask themselves where they sit in account. And so um, it is a framework and a process that I've instilled on my team 
And the benefits of Medic is it aligns your entire team. So everyone is speaking the same language. Everyone is using a, the same framework and analysis. So that when you go through forecasting and understanding where you sit in a deal, judgment is really taken out of the equation. You're all speaking the same terms and understanding what the same questions you need to ask to figure out where I sit in an account, how, what are my chances of winning this account, um, what do I know and what, do I not, what don't I know. And really, you know, it just gets everyone aligned. Sure. So other than, I mean, alignment, a lot of the podcasts that we, you know, record and talk to are generally speaking to early stage SaaS founders. Just before we dive into the actual process flow and the, and the background um, of every component of Medic, when do you think it's appropriate for a company to implement this? Is it look immediately when you start selling? Is it, Hey, I've got a few SDRs or AMs and they need to be a little more aligned. Is it, you know, larger or sales organization when in your experience, cause you've been sort of at small, medium, large companies on the sales side and employed this strategy in all organizations, you know, give kind of the younger SaaS founders an idea of when this is appropriate to really get behind. Yeah. I'd say the beauty of medic, um, is that it could be used by the founders themselves. Like this is wow. okay. this is something that starts with the founder, right? When you're getting your first few deals, the questions and the analysis do not change. So what I love about it is it is a system that scales. In fact, I would tell you, I would submit it's better for early stage and mid stage than it is for a Fortune 50 company that you know can spend months of training and hundreds of thousands of dollars training their sales force. So this is designed to, from a founder to embrace and then roll it out at, across the organization. Got it. Makes sense. So maybe why don't you just give us kind of a high level of what medic actually means in, yeah. in practice? What are, the, what are the sort of seven modules that you're going to talk to the listeners today about? Sure. So medic is an acronym um, and it really stands for the seven most pivotal things that you need to think of and analyze to understand where you sit in any given deal, right? So the, the, the it, medic stands for money, economic buyer, decision process, decision criteria, identifying the pain, champion, and competition. And we'll go through each one of those modules. But if you think about what do I really need to know to understand whether or not I'm going to win this account? Those are the things that you really have to understand where you sit. And with each of them, you can either be sitting in a great position, we call that green flag. You could be sitting in a bad position, we call that red flag. Or it could be an uncertainty, which means you have to understand more in that particular module. Got it. So maybe dive into money. You know, yeah. The first module. The most obvious one, right? So um, money is really all about understanding, is this budgeted, right? And if so, who owns the budget? So the key question is, where is the funding vehicle and is that fund, does that funding vehicle exist? And have you established a business benefit, a quantifiable business benefit or return on investment to that customer? Why are they talking to you, right? Is there a return on investment for them? And so the key questions that someone really needs to ask themselves are, do I understand who owns the budget? Is that funding available right now, right? Um, is there, if it's not available, is there a process within your organization to get that money to go pay for it? Um, and do you have to cost justify this purchase? Right? That's what you're thinking about when you're thinking about money. Just because someone is talking to you and saying that they love your product and they're getting all excited doesn't mean that they can buy it. 
Right. And for us, especially when you're looking to scale and you have limited resources, it's finding the qualified buyer that has money to buy something right now. Sure. Maybe, and then to to sort of follow up on on the money point, do you have you you've obviously sort of thought through and employed some you know tips and and tricks and ways to yeah. really really understand where's the funding vehicle. Um, so maybe just if you can touch a little bit on, on that as it relates to the M component. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I always coach people on is triangulation of information, right? Salespeople love anybody that talks to them. We, by nature, gravitate towards the first person that shows us some love. Right. But, and just because you're speaking to person A and person A tells you, oh, I can pay for it or Johnny can pay for it, doesn't necessarily mean that they, in fact, are the person that can pay for it or that Johnny could pay for it. So triangulation, what does that mean? That means I should be talking to more than one person in an account. And I should be asking the same questions. Hey, who really owns this? Who, at the end of the day, who has the money to buy this? Once you get more than one person pointing in the same direction, you, you start to triangulate information, right? You want to find the person that is also can pull the strings. So just because money isn't available, find the person that's unconstrained by budget availability. Sure. Um, the other thing I would tell you is suggest to somebody, hey, sounds like this is really important. Why haven't you done something before? And what does it cost you to not take care of this problem? Like if you just keep going the way you're going, is there a cost associated with this? The more information you get, the easier it is for you to cost justify a purchase. Sure. No, that makes sense. Um, so that's money. Maybe move on to economic buyer, the E in yeah. So. Not only do we want to know if there's budget available, but at the end of the day, we want to understand who is the ultimate signatory for this project. Who is the person that has final authority to say yes? And it's a tough one because everyone says, oh, I own this, I own this, I'm the person that's, that, that controls right. this. But at the end of the day, who's John Hancock has to go on that signature? Right? That's the person who's holding the purse strings. And that's the person that can say yes even if everybody else says no. And the tricky thing is finding the economic buyer, right? That is, you know, finding the person that owns the budget category is a trick, right? Remember, you can't sell something to someone who can't buy. And that is the fundamental trap that a lot of salespeople fall into. They're selling to someone who at the end of the day cannot purchase. Right, right. And, and, and so that's probably, in my opinion, sort of the hardest thing to really understand, you know, who, who exactly is, um, the right person. What do you think are some, I mean, or, or what are some of the things that you employ at work market and, um, you know, other companies you've been at where, where that you've been able to learn from this? Yeah. So the things that I always, you know, tell my team to think about are, are one, right. Depending on how much it costs, there's going to be a different person that has, that has the ultimate say, right? So, Factors that determine who the economic buyer are, the dollar amount, um, they are sometimes market conditions, right? In, sure. in good market conditions, it may be easier to sign off than, than tougher market conditions. Um, also, is there familiarity with me or my organization or does one of their competitors have? It's funny how quickly the economic buyer emerges when, they, when a person finds out that their main competitor is using you, right? So yeah. there's all kinds of things that you can um, really use to identify, right? So what I would say, some of the questions that you should ask always is, is the economic buyer aware that I'm actually talking to someone in the organization? I may not have direct access to them right away, but do they know we're talking? Have they agreed that there's a project and a problem that needs to get fixed? Right, right. Um, do I have access? 
And if not, how do I get access? So a lot of times I coach my team, hey, the person that's talking to you, they may be an influencer. So get on the other side of the table, make it about you and him or her together. How you are gonna help him or her look like a rock star to the economic buyer, right? right? You gotta team with them. Um, you know, some of the difficulties are sometimes we're blocked, right? Yeah. The person doesn't wanna share information or we're having trouble figuring it out. Um, or if I'm, if I'm a younger salesperson, I may be uncomfortable talking to the chief finance, financial officer of a Fortune 100 organization. Right. So, you know, look, always try and um, show why it's in the person's best interest to bring the economic buyer on early, right? Um, use your manager, use the CEO, use your advisors, use your board members to try and get into the economic buyer if it's someone that's higher in the organization than you feel comfortable talking to. Triangulation, again, just like triangulation for money, triangulate who the economic buyer is, right? Um, leverage partners, you know, practice and prepare, right? Those are the things that I think are essential to uncovering who the economic buyer is. Sure. So we've got money, we've got economic buyer. Um, walk, walk us kind of through decision process. Yeah. The, the first D in Medic. So the decision process is... Once, a once I have figured out that this is the product that makes or the, or the service that makes sense for me in my organization, what are the series of steps that an organization must approve or go through in order to approve your software or service? Who are the individuals um, that can make the go, no, go or the advanced, no, not advanced decision, right? And so we have to figure out, does this go to procurement? Does this go to legal, right? Does, do I have to put it, submit it before an advisory board, right? Is there a committee that needs to approve it? There are so many different things that happen depending upon how big of a, uh, of a project this is, how important of a project this is, how expensive it is. So understanding from the point someone says, yeah, this sounds like it's the right solution, right? Now the selling is just beginning. Now right, you have to figure right. out how do I navigate through the organization? Right, right. And so what are some, yeah, I mean, on, on that point, what are some sort of, tips and tricks because this obviously comes up a lot and in many cases yeah. you're, you're forced into processes that you didn't even think existed in many yeah. cases. So I would say first triangulate, right? Walk when you have somebody that's helping you navigate, you want to ask what are all the steps that need to happen, right? Again, remember, you can't give your pound of flesh to the business supporter if procurement's going to come and then look for their pound of flesh, right? So it's right, all about right. making sure that you're playing within the confines of the rules of the game, right? Um, who is the technical evaluator? Who's the financial evaluator? Who's the legal evaluator? Try and break these out. Do I understand the reporting structure? Right. So, do I understand the time frame? Do I have a lot of times? I tell my team to once they think they understand the decision process, to send it back and have somebody confirm it. Yes, these are the steps that we go through to go from idea to execution. That's right? a great point. Um, all along the way, and I will say this for every one of the seven steps of Medic, you want to constantly test and confirm what you've learned. So if somebody tells you, yeah, procurement's not involved, and you go down the process, you want to make, before you end those negotiations, you confirm that procurement doesn't step in, right? Sure, sure, you have sure. to constantly test along yeah. the way. Um, and by the way, one other thing, always anticipate. Who's going to try and stop this? Right? Is there anyone who's against this? And how do I defuse that person or that group? Right, right. 
Now that's that's enormously impactful if you do know that early on. So we've got money, economic buyer, decision process. Talk to us a little bit about decision criteria and maybe touch a little bit on how that correlates or is different from the process component because there is some yes. of similarity. So the criteria um, is the basis upon which the all the players in the decision process will actually come to a go no go decision. So what are all the features or what are all the outcomes that need to happen in order for us to, to say yes or no I want to buy your service or yes or no I want to buy your your solution right so it is really not the, the litany of, of things that will go into their evaluation process and remember each step in the decision process probably has its own set of decision criteria sure right sure so if I'm doing a technical evaluation what are the key things that you need to see for my solution in order for you to give a thumbs up and say, yes, this is the, the product or the service um, that, that, you know, that we are comfortable going forward with? So, so process is the full life cycle of the sale. The criteria may sit within each component of yeah, the process. Yeah, the process is the steps. Criteria is the, the, the decision matrix or decision factors that right. go into that, right? Um, and one of the key things in decision criteria is to help influence the criteria by which the person or group of people will be actually be basing their decision. So what I mean by that is if your secret sauce um, is something that separates you from the pack, right? Your secret sauce should be inserted into the decision criteria. Sure, sure, sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and the, the sort of tips and techniques in that... Um, decision criteria process it's is it similar or different how do you guys you know think about that yeah well first we always want to try to understand how our solution maps to the, to the criteria as we understand them yep um you know there's an there's a saying you know first one in gets to set the traps right <laughs> second one in gets to defuse the landmines right so right. if you're the first one in there you want to make sure that when you're shaping the conversation this is your opportunity to talk about in the course of your conversation what are the unique differentiators that you or your organization has relative to all your perceived competitors? And focus on those. And I would say focus on three or four. Don't try and give the laundry list of everything that you do better. Yep. Three or four fundamentally game-changing decision uh, um, criteria that make you unique. Get them in early and make sure that you harp on those points because they will be inserted. When your competitor steps in, now they've got to go figure out how do they get around the, your unique differentiators? Right. Huge, huge point. It's it, this is all this is all about you know um, it's 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 a game of chess, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're uh, you know we're close with the funnel fire guys and yep. Mark, Mark LaRosa's big um, concept is sort of setting the landmines. If you can be in there earlier than other people, it's hugely important. Yeah, um, and, and by the way, on the other side. Uh, if you are a great salesperson, you won't always get the first at bat. So you need to anticipate what your competitor is sure, doing, sure, and diffuse those landmines before they prompt you. Right, right, right. right. Um, so we got money, we got economic buyer, we have decision process, we have decision criteria. Maybe move on to identifying the pain. Yeah. So look, um, before you can sell anything, right, the 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 your prospect has to recognize that there is a need for change, right? So Either it's there or you have to educate them. And, and that's really or, or what the pain is. Do I understand why this company is talking to me? 
Yep. Do I understand what problem I am truly solving for them? And more importantly, does that company appreciate and put a value on the problem? Because you may have the greatest solution since sliced bread, and I'll tell you, my first company, we had a great solution, but no one had a real pain around what we were solving. And that sure, was the sure. biggest issue. We were lucky enough to pivot. But sometimes they don't have the pain. And what do you, you know, as this comes up with a lot of companies, hey, I, I'm, I'm sort of trying to identify the pain point, but there isn't, um, you know, really as acute a need or maybe I'm not presenting it effectively. What are some sort of techniques um, that you guys use at work market or just broadly speaking that you can suss this out? And then I want to, I want to sort of um, keep on identify pain because I do think there's a component to this that goes unnoticed, but maybe yeah. just give us some tips and techniques. Yeah. So like anything else, um, you have to be an expert in your product in your solution and in your, in your, um, your area, right, of expertise, right? So you have to understand how to position your product and how to ask great questions to uncover, right? You can't just walk in there and say, do you have pain around freelancers and contractors? Right. Right? You're not going to get the answer, right? right. So right. how do I use questions to elicit uh, the, 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 a great response? And I will tell you, you know, I wouldn't recommend uh, for the folks listening that you go to law school for this, but one of the great things about being a litigator was I learned how to ask questions sure, sure. right, to uncover pains in an innocuous way. right? So practice. Make sure you learn and practice within your organization. What are the key questions that we can use to uncover pain? Um, and make sure that your prospect understands the ramifications of not addressing the problem. Sure. Sometimes you have to bring it to light. Sometimes they've been so, they're so used to banging their head against the wall that it actually feels normal to them. And if you take a wall, the wall away, all of a sudden they're like, whoa. Yep. Right? Have you ever sat in a room and you ne didn't notice the noise until it stopped? Yep. Yep. It's exactly. kind of like that mentality, right? Yeah. I keep banging my head against the wall. Sometimes they don't even realize how much money you can save or how efficient you can make their organization. And so you have to bring that to light, right? Yep. Find out what their alternatives are to addressing the pain, right? Um, find out how this pain conflicts with one of their key initiatives. One of the things I always coach my sales team on is don't make it about you. Make it about the customer. What is the customer's key goals, right? Read, read, their, read their, um, their public, if they're a public company, read their statements that they've published. If they're private, ask them, what are the CEO's goals that they've set forth for the coming year? Yep. And try and align how, your product to how it would help them. Sure. Um, so just to, to close on this point, I mean, we find a lot of salespeople that are not effective at identifying pain or in some senses, the product isn't yeah. uh, addressing a large enough pain. I don't know if you have any thoughts or, or coaching techniques on, is this something you immediately sort of go back to your, your CEO with, or, you know, is it, is it generally a sales problem? How, how should young yeah. SaaS founders, if they're on this point of identifying pain, it tends to be the biggest issue that comes up in many of our companies. Um, yeah. And we hear it the most. So just curious if you had any thoughts on sort of how to counteract it or things to, to think about. I, I do. And I, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's one of the biggest challenges, right? Um, and it's all around priority, right? So being a great sales rep, doesn't mean I need to close every single deal that comes my way. It means I need to have a big enough pipeline um, so that I can really focus on the folks that are ready to solve the pain as it comes, yeah. right? So part of it is building enough pipeline 
right? So some people, yeah. you have to develop the pain. Some people have that pain immediately. If you are a sales rep and you are unsure of, of the value or how much pain your, your company or offering really has, sit down with the founders and say to them, hey, when you built this, what was the inspiration behind it? Where right. did you hear this? What made you do this? Talk to the original customers that they brought in or the original companies that gave them the courage to go do this. Because in there you'll find the nuggets that you can, talk, you can take with you to sell. People love to buy when they have familiarity. So use stories. One of the biggest techniques I tell my team is to use a story of a relevant company that you know was going through something similar and make it bring it to a reality. Hey, I had a customer just like you. They didn't realize how how much this was impacting them. We helped them build a business case. We showed them how our product can really you know drive thirty percent cost savings. Deliver, you know, uh, first call resolutions that much quicker. Right. Um, and so, and by the way, XYZ Corp now has put 40% profitability back into their company. Sure, without sure. They didn't even realize it. So it's stories that really help you get there. Excellent. Um, so we have money, economic buyer, decision process, decision criteria, identifying the pain. Walk us through sort of champion and, and what that really means. Champion is, I will tell you, by far and away, um, the most important of all these points, surprisingly enough. Um, if you don't have a champion, you probably don't have a deal. Yeah. And salespeople tend to struggle between a champion and a coach. Um, a coach is going to tell you what's going on in the organization. Yep. A champion is someone that's selling for you on your behalf when you're not around. So this person, or and it could be more than one person, right? They sell my solution when I'm not around. They have an emotional decision and a commitment to the product, to your solution. There's usually a win for them internally yep. by, by evangelizing change. Sure. And so a champion is, at the end of the day, they have credibility, they have influence within the organization, and they have a personal win. And that is hugely important. And how do you, maybe just from a, again, to stick on this theme of tips and techniques, yeah. how, do you, how do you sort of... Find the champion. What are some things you guys have learned? Walk us through that. Yeah. So, you know, I always tell my team, are you getting high in the account and wide in the account? Right? So you need to talk to more than one person. Don't hang your hat on one person. That is the kiss of death yep. in a sales forecast. Talk to as many people, right? And ask people, hey, sounds like John really has a lot of, inf a lot of influence in this company, right? Um, is that the case? You want to find somebody that's a mover and a shaker in the organization. Typically, when you're looking for a champion, you're looking for someone who may be new from the outside that wants to show and make changes, and you are the, um, the catalyst that they're going to make those changes. Um, you know, look for someone who's recently been promoted and wants to put the stamp of approval. Look for somebody who you know, marches to their own beat, swims to their own tide, right? that, that actually you know, cares deeply and passionately. And so we focus on someone who's got a personal win or somebody that truly differentiates and stands away from the pack. Got it. Makes sense. Um, money, economic buyer, decision process, decision criteria, identifying the pain, yeah. finding the champion or champion. And by the way, one other thing, right? The, the champion, things will go wrong. If yeah. sales was easy, everyone would do it and everyone would bust their quotas. But right, right. you're always going to be throwing curveballs. Right. And you're going to need a champion to help you not only... Let understand what you know what the score is within your organization, 
but to help you right-size the ship sometimes when things turn upside down. And remember, not only you have a champion, but your competitor may have a champion. Sure. So you need to understand who's my champion, who's my competitor's champion, who's got more power in the organization, who has the ear of the economic buyer if it's not the economic buyer themselves. Right, Those are right. all things you need to think about. Excellent. I love this stuff. This stuff gets me so excited. <laughs> um, and then... The last component of meta competition. Yeah. Maybe just give us kind of a high level there, um, what what that means. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this, right? So one thing, when you're talking about the competition, you need to understand what is my competition, right? What is their position? How are they going to sell against me? And you need to anticipate their strategy. And you need to think about how the competitors lining up in the same medic, right? Like they're going to, they should be going through their own medic analysis. Right. And so... Do you understand who the competitors are? Do you understand what their key strategies are? Do you understand how to defuse their landmines and how to set your own traps? And are you anticipating their move? Sales is about strategy. It's about being thoughtful. It's about listening to the customer. Um, and it's about reacting in a smart way to what you're hearing, to the information you're being given. Got it. And you've, you've touched on a bunch of this, but maybe just give the listeners some tips and techniques there as well yeah. just to close it out. So first of all, Anyone, anytime I hear that there are no competitors in the deal, I, I always like, come on, <laughs> right? right? right. Um, are you sure, right? Um, what are the competitors? What are the competitors' strategy? Um, how do I neutralize my competitor early? Um, if I'm in there afterwards, hey, make a smart decision. If you are in there, if you've received an RFP, like, and I hate RFPs. Let me just say that I hate it. Yeah. But if you've received an RFP, someone's written it, right? Is the game decided already before you enter it? If you are dealing with a limited amount of funds and a limited amount of resources, is it worth the pursuit? Right, you have to make these thoughts along, these, uh, you know, go through this thought process along the way. So anticipate, but don't assume. You want to set traps. You want to be able to predict the pitch, and then diffuse what's coming at you. And you want to force the competition to react. Remember, you got to stay ahead, anticipate the moves. All right, think three steps ahead. Perfect. So that is the medic process. Money. Economic buyer, decision process, decision criteria, identifying the pain, champion, and competition. Uh, any final thoughts for the listeners? Look, um, like anything else, this is something that takes practice. It sounds obvious as we go through these. Hopefully, you're like, yeah, of course. Why don't I think about that? Great tips. You know, this is something I will tell you that the more you practice at it, the better you will become um, and the more successful you will become in your own sales pursuits. It's worked for me, it's worked for my team, um, and uh, you know, I encourage everyone to practice this and make it your own. Excellent. For the listeners, we're gonna have Russell's presentation of this actually up on the blog. He has a nice PowerPoint framework that lays most of what he discussed out, so we'll have that up in conjunction with the release of this podcast. And uh, just wanted to thank you for coming in, really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity, really appreciate it as well. Yeah.